Workforce and workplace norms are shaped as much by popularized portrayals as they are by our lived experiences. From sensational headlines like The Great Resignation, to successful series like The Office and Silicon Valley, to skits and stories shared on our social media feeds, what we see shapes what we believe. Let's go behind the scenes to discover what's new now and next in the world of work, and we'll challenge the traditions of what it means to live well and to work well. This is Success From Anywhere. Today on Success From Anywhere, we'll meet the female founder who will help you navigate the unexpected when it's time to get in the boat and row. A leader who's charting a course toward helping humans understand humans. Please join me in welcoming to the show, Amy Brown, founder and CEO of Authentics. Welcome, Amy. Thank you, Karen. So good to be here. Because we talk a lot about the future of work and human-centric work, one question I like to ask every guest, what was your first paying job and how did that job inspire or inform your career trajectory? My very first paying job was high school. I mowed the lawn and cleaned the bathrooms at my church. And I, I also did some, some other janitorial jobs. And I loved it because manual labor allowed me to see the impact of my work pretty instantaneously. Um, and I learned a lot of basic skills that uh, served me later on as I became a homeowner and those types of things. Um, so I can't say that there's a clear uh, line between uh, that job and where I am today, but I can tell you that there was a ton of character building in that role, especially about rolling up your sleeves and hard work and putting in you know sweat and effort that uh, served me well throughout my career. That sounds a lot like the job description or the character qualities of an entrepreneur, perhaps. <laughs> yes, absolutely. You've been in a variety of roles, and we were talking in the pre-show about your career and as an entrepreneur, how you're using all of the experiences you've had personally and professionally. What inspired you to step into the world of entrepreneurship? Yes. So I'd say kind of two core things really gave me the the passion and the idea. The first was I had spent about 20 years working in the business of healthcare. And uh, as a part of that, I was responsible for leading call center operations. And as I did that, I started to gravitate around a particular problem I was seeing in that role that I, I just became super passionate about solving. So, and it took me you know, a couple decades of experience to realize, wow, this is a real legitimate problem. And I think the market is ready uh, for for a solution. And so that would be kind of item number one that kind of pushed me towards entrepreneurialism. The second one is more personal. And that is, you know, I had four children uh, at the time uh, that I was making the transition out of corporate world into starting my own gig. And, you know, you tell your kids a lot, like, follow your dreams, get to know what you're passionate about, and then go do it. Um, and 
So I had that going on in my head, you know, as a mom. I also had as a, I was the sole source of income for my family at that time. And I also had this counterweight to that that was like, hey, you know, stay secure, keep your employment, you're, you're the provider and, you know, you, insurance is tied to you. So this kind of anti-risk-taking voice on the other side of my head kind of calling at me. And I ultimately got to the conclusion that my children deserve to see an example of what sacrifice and hard work uh, and compromise looks like. And, and it, you know, it's not enough to just say you have a dream and expect it to happen. You have to make sacrifices to make that happen. And so that's how I got comfortable with being uncomfortable and took the leap. Staying safe keeps us stuck is almost what I'm hearing you say. I mean, the risk averse approach would be to do what you've always done. And we fall into that temptation as human beings all the time. I'll never forget sitting in a restaurant with you over some steam buns and talking about your idea for what is now this business. What are some of the crossroads you've had to navigate leading an organization from literally being a party of one, you, to now 110 people in one of the fastest growing businesses in the area? Yes, so many milestones. And by the way, thank you for introducing me to steamed buns. I had never had one before <laughs> that restaurant trip with you, and it was delicious. So that's memorable for me. One of the biggest was how fast I wanted to grow. That, that decision or that fork in the road led me to some really impactful decisions. And I remember having a conversation with you about this because in the early days of the business, my very first goal was to bootstrap, to, to pay my own way and to just see if my idea could sell. And if I could get a couple of beta clients and if I could start to bring real value to them. And I was able to accomplish that within a handful of months where I had some paying clients and then I could see that the business was had the potential to take off. I also could see how quickly technology was advancing. And if I advanced the business at the right rate, I wanted to be on the bleeding edge of that curve in leading AI, conversational AI, which is, is what our business does. And so it was that fork in the road moment. What I'd never done in my life before was raise capital from a venture capital uh, ecosystem to give me the capital needed to grow at a, 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 a quicker clip. And so it was a real milestone to decide to go that route. And then it just opened up a whole nother host of decisions and, and milestones along the way. But it was a really important decision, and I ultimately I'm really glad I made it because I believe that what we're doing is truly innovative, and I wanted to be first to market. And congratulations on your progress with growing the business and raising capital and, and thinking through that decision. You know, how will this fuel our growth? You mentioned in your description there conversational AI, and we have a broad audience on the Success From Anywhere podcast 
what I would invite you to do is explain conversational AI in a way that my soon-to-be 100-year-old grandfather could understand. Okay, what I would say to your 100-year-old grandfather is um, if you've ever had to call a 1-800 number to talk to a customer service, you've likely heard a recording speaking to you at the beginning of that call that says this call may be recorded for quality and monitoring purposes. And what we do at Authentics is we collect and gather all of those recorded conversations from call centers that are call centers that work in the healthcare industry. So think of hospitals and healthcare systems, pharmacy, health insurance. We take in their recorded uh, customer conversations and we listen to them using computer ears for really hot topics, themes, things that are driving customers crazy, things that are causing wasted time and effort. And then we help those companies who are our clients understand how they can improve their overall customer experience. And by doing that, they will improve their business results and business outcomes. What I'm hearing you say is that everyone listening could in a way be the beneficiary of an improved experience in the healthcare world as a result of what you do. That's exactly right. And you know, why healthcare? Because in the United States, it's a pretty messed up system. It's it's the most expensive in the world uh, from an administrative cost perspective. And our health outcomes aren't that great compared to other wealthy countries. And so why not start with healthcare conversations? And um, it's something we're really passionate about here. One of the challenges with customer experience or customer listening is that we often think we need one more survey and that will do the trick. And what's so genius about your approach is working with what you already have and hear from your customers in a different way. I'm curious, many of the people listening to the show lead some kind of organizational change. And I'm guessing you're showing up with feedback that people may not always want to hear or they may want to contradict. I mean, the human part of ourselves says, it's healthcare. I'm working so hard to help people lead healthier lives. And now you show up with statistically significant data that shows them otherwise. How do you navigate those egos in the room? That's a challenge we can all relate to. Yes, you're so insightful and you're exactly correct. And one of the very earliest lessons I had to learn the hard way is that clients feel very exposed uh, by the data that we're shining a light on. Now, it's a kind of a head scratcher because we are using their data, right? Their customer conversations that are hosted by their call center representatives or their chatbots within their contact center. But they've, they've really not had access to listening at scale before. And we come in and shine a big bright light on uh, that conversational data. So how do we navigate it? Well, we've learned a lot about how to prepare the leadership team for, um, for what they're going to hear. And one of the most important things is making sure that their culture and the, the, the attendees that are in the insight session that we're presenting at are prepared to receive the information in a way that is productive and not pointing blame at any one particular area. We also have learned that you, 
you know, you can't dispute something that you hear with your own ears. That is your literal customer's voice. And so we marry like visualize data, charts, graphs, those types of things with call clips from their contact center, from the actual conversations that are coming into our platform. And when they hear it directly from the mouths of their own customers, you, you can't unhear it. You can't dispute it. <laughs> you know, it's not us interpreting the information for them. It's, it's literally their customer. So that has been a helpful tool uh, for us. And then the last thing I would say is whenever you're taking a, a, a data source like your own customer voices, I have never had an engagement with a client where you don't find beautiful stories in that data source as well. Stories that will inspire, stories that will shine a light on the good people that work at the organization who truly care. And when you balance the negative feedback with the positive, it you get a much more receptive uh, response. What you're saying is a powerful insight. When we as human beings hear the sentence, I would like to give you some feedback, we somehow default to believing that is negative, right? We start to brace ourselves and get defensive, whether this is a one-on-one -on -one with your manager, a performance review, or customer feedback. And what I like about what you're saying is these tools have the power to shine a light on and reinforce what you're doing well, who's doing it well, what you need to keep doing. This isn't always about what you need to change or improve. Exactly. And it goes beyond just the call center operations. People are talking about the product and services, your digital front door, your website, your marketing. They're talking about all of those things. So we've found that that even customer service, you know, interactions have value for marketing and strategy and sales. And it's amazing in human conversations just how much gets shared in an unsolicited and therefore really authentic way. You reminded me of an executive I worked with for years who would say, what I want to know from our customer feedback data is who is telling us that they love us and is not spending like they do because all day long I'll go put sales teams out to call on those people and spend more time with them. So yeah. it can illuminate sales opportunities as well, not just create a new operational portfolio right? Of things exactly. to go address. hundred percent. Right. As I think about it now, you and I had, I think it was fried avocado inside those steam buns. <laughs> yes. And something else that stuck with me from that conversation. And I referenced it in the show opening about getting in the boat and rowing is you described something to me called the Eddie effect and the context in what you are doing and in the work that you're building. Tell us what the Eddy effect is and why is it relevant to all of us? Yes. So the Eddy effect came from a phenomenon that happens in nature. For the listeners that have ever been on a river, you likely have experienced an eddy. You know, when you think about river water flowing, the currents flow smoothest and fastest down the middle. But on the sides of the river, that's where trees and boulders are more likely to fall in, and it actually obstructs the current. When there is a obstruction of the current, what it creates is this countercurrent effect, which kind of looks like a little swirling whirlpool in the water, and things can get stuck there. And I remember in the early days of Authentics, going home one evening and saying to my husband, there's this phenomenon we're seeing in the data where customers are having to 
call or email back over and over again just to solve the same problem because there's been some sort of disruption in their customer journey. And he said, well, hey, that sounds like a river eddy. And so that's where the name that the eddy effect came from. And today, the eddy effect is not only a AI algorithm that is, is literally going and listening for uh, customers who are stuck in their journey, but we also have created a metric for our clients to use to track their eddy effect rate, know how much it is costing them, and you know their North Star metric these days is how do I get my eddy effect rate from being 25% of my inbound customer conversations down to below 10%. Did you know that 68% of workers say a hybrid workplace is their preference? Make hybrid work for everyone with Robin. Robin is the industry-leading flexible workplace platform for connecting people with rooms, desks, and each other. We've helped companies like Peloton, Toyota, and Hulu build better workplace experiences. Plus, we integrate with the tools you already know and love. To learn more about how we make flexible work a reality, visit www.robinpowered.com. And when I hear you talk about that, what shows up for me is using technology to go from reactive to proactive. This is how you start to anticipate what's coming, right? I like that you can measure this effect. And we were talking about your mission to help humans understand humans, and you're describing to us a combination. You're using some very progressive technology to do that and bringing human voices into the conversation. One of the big debates when we talk about anything that involves conversational intelligence is the importance of context. And along your way to help humans better understand humans, and you're using machines to do it, how do we solve for this challenge of context? Absolutely. We have a core principle that goes into everything we do. Uh, we have four of them, but what, the very first one is context is everything. And that's because it's not enough to have a word cloud telling you all the words people use to know why they use them and what it all means. You have to be able to, as a leader, you have to be able to understand the root cause and the why behind your data points. And so we spend a lot of time in our product designing um, not only kind of quantifiable metrics, but then the qualitative data that wraps around that quantified metric that helps give the nuance and the understanding. And that's why coupling data visualizations with customer voices, customer voices serve as the illustration to the data point. And it's that deep understanding of the context of a situation that allows leaders to be so much better informed and therefore develop responses to what they've heard that are more likely to actually have the business result they're looking for. When you work with businesses and think forward to how they're going to use the feedback that they gather, what are some of the biggest challenges? I mean, I think we all face this. We think we know who our customers are. And then we get some data that indicates, or we hear their voices, and it indicates we may not know these customers as well as we think. How do people start planning to better use the feedback they're getting because your customer's trying to have a conversation with you? One of the first things we do is we 
listen for the eddy effect because most of our clients are wanting to know what is creating friction in our journey. So we want to know how big is the friction experience and then what is the what are the root causes of that friction and they want to quantify it. Quantifying it, the prevalence helps them know how to prioritize and where to start. And so usually we're we're saying, okay, you know, 30% of your customers are stuck. And the root reason for that is your billing uh, processes are, ca- are causing them to cycle back with you over and over again. And then we couple that quantitative data with voice data, qualitative story, so that the leaders, you know, we help them kind of facilitate a corporate listening program where cross-functional teams are coming together, listening to these interactions together, understanding how that ties to the quantified metric, and they start creating response plans, uh, whether that's redrawing their journey map, uh, making some changes to their website, making some changes to their communication materials, retraining the call center agents, and then they just keep listening, right? And they want to see that over time, that issue, that that friction point is trending downward. And it's just all about, because it can be, to your point, it can be overwhelming to know where to start. There's all kinds of feedback and, and, you know, conversational data is almost infinite in terms of the use cases of it. So it is important to prioritize and have a a plan uh, so that you are productive along the way. We can all relate to the friction experience. It could be trying to return something, something that simple where you feel like you called and you're on the chat and it's this ongoing challenge. And something I heard you say there that's very powerful, which is, If you want to speak the language of your customers, literally listen to your customers. They're communicating to you using a certain language. They're communicating questions and issues and topics that you may not know to ask about in the other ways that you engage with them. And along those lines, what are some of the best questions we could all be asking our customers right now? That's great. Uh, Great question. I think one of the things that customers want to express in these interactions is how easy or not easy it is to do business with them. We often hear, and again, we focus in the healthcare sector, but we often hear uh, healthcare consumers, of which we are all a part of that group, saying how confusing it is, how lost they feel, they they are not sure what to do next. They often don't understand the language being spoken by the business. The business representatives assume that you know everybody is educated on the, the terminology of healthcare and and they're not. And so asking you know asking customers you know how easy is it to do business with us is a, is a great question. And they're probably already telling you in one form or another uh, when they're contacting you in the first place. And a question I like to use to take that a step further in the Listen Up book, I call it the genius question. It's what would this look like if it were easier? In other words, I invite you to co-create a series of solutions with us that you would be willing to try or essentially saying you might be seeing things that we're not seeing. Help us. Let's do this together. We're open to it. Let's go on this journey together. I love that, Karen. That's a great question. It is genius. (laughs) When I 
Think about one of the core skills, perhaps it's a critical success factor for you and for your team and for other people who listen to customers. It's about storytelling. And that's an area that we all work to improve in big and small ways, whether we're in sales or have a podcast or we're trying to convince our boss to give us a promotion or the budget or whatever that looks like. What is some of your best coaching about how to tell a compelling story that leads someone to take an action, ideally the action you'd like them to take? Yes, we actually have a role here at Authentics called Insights Storyteller. And that role is designed to help create impactful data-backed stories for clients. And those, those roles also teach clients how to do their own data-backed storytelling for themselves. And one of the most important things to keep in mind is that as receivers of data every day, the most memorable data points are ones that not only trigger our cognitive brain, but also that trigger our uh, amygdala or our lizard brain. Uh, that's where the emotion center of the brain is. And when you trigger emotion, that is where memories are formed. So one of the reasons why we are so passionate about combining data visualizations that business people are used to, charts, graphs, trend lines, etc. You couple those with the voice where you can hear tone, you can hear emotion, where you start to feel empathy. It's the, it's the combination of those things that trigger both parts of our brain. And that is what appeals to both our business sense as well as the emotional side of our brains. And once you have that, it's very hard to not act, not to take action, because you've now been impacted on multiple levels and you won't forget it. That reminds me of a story. When I worked at Cisco, the technology company, our CEO at the time, John Chambers, is a fantastic public speaker. And as you were sharing that story, what came to my mind is him saying multiple times, half of the world lives on less than $2 a day. Hmm. I mean, when you hear that, you feel compelled to do something about it. I mean, it captures you intellectually and it captures your heart. Mm -hmm. And I think what you just shared there is so powerful. How do we match a voice we can hear with the data that supports, I'm not only responding emotionally, this is good for our clients, good for business, this serves a higher purpose. With your experience as an entrepreneur to date, what is a piece of advice or wisdom that you would like to gift to aspiring or current entrepreneurs and entrepreneurs listening to the show? One of the things that has carried me through hard times and, and good times is, you know, just listening to my own inner voice and giving it a place at all times. The, the more you grow or the more you're um, making progress in the world, the more voices come into the mix. You know, in my world, I started as a, a company of one and there I, I just had my own thoughts at all times to deal with. But as, as we grew, you know, I, I got a board, investors, uh, employees, advisors, consultants, clients, you know, the voices just exponentially grow. And the times where I have maybe ignored my own inner voice have been times where I've made mistakes and the times where I made sure to 
to, to create time and space to listen for what felt truly authentic to me and what was going to make me feel like I was being true to the mission. That is when, uh, you know, I, I can look back and I can say, I'm really glad I made that decision. So making space and time for your voice to be heard, understood, and, and staying true to that is, is critically important to maintaining the, the, the stamina needed, frankly, to, to weather all the storms of entrepreneurship. Turn down the noise and tune into your own voice. I love that. Imagine, Amy, that you and I bump into each other at the water cooler. People say they miss this from being at the office all the time together. And so to conclude the show, I like to sort of recreate that experience by doing a lightning round of five quick questions to ask so the listeners can get to know you a little bit more on a personal level. Just say the first thing that comes to mind. Are you ready? Okay, I'm nervous. Yes. <laughs> what time of day do you do your best creative work? Uh, four in the morning. <laughs> You're the second entrepreneur that has said that on the show. Uh, speaking of time, if you had 25 hours in every day instead of 24 hours, what would you do with your extra hour? Play with my kids. That's awesome. If you had to eat one meal every day for the rest of your life, what would it be? Pizza. <laughs> Do you have a favorite topping? That's a bonus question. Oh, I like a combo of mushrooms and pepperoni. Nice. Now imagine the zombie apocalypse is coming. Who are the three people you want on your team? Well, my husband has been incredible. Uh, so for sure him. Oh, gosh. I have a pretty fantastic team now. Um but if I'm if if I can sky's the limit on this one, Steve Jobs, I don't know, Oprah Winfrey. Oh, there you go. There's a well-rounded team right there. <laughs> and how can our listeners learn more about you, stay more connected with what you're doing and discovering? Sure. Yes. I'd invite you to check out our website. It's uh, authentics.com. Think of the word authentic and then add an X at the end authentics.com and you can get all of our contact information there. Awesome. Well, thank you to Amy Brown, founder and CEO of Authentics for joining us today on Success From Anywhere. Because success is not a destination, success is not a location, success is available to anyone, anywhere, anytime. Thanks for listening. Thank you.